everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. Poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And welcome once again, everybody, to another edition of Poker Action Line here. We bring to you from South Florida. And uh, most of the poker players have left town, I think, Joe. They, uh, they're all headed to <laughs> Vegas. Uh, when I was out there last Monday uh, following the, uh, the deepest stack tournament uh, over at the Seminole Hard Rock, which was won by Chris Bolduc, a good friend of ours. Uh, I actually wrote a story for Annie Up Magazine uh, this upcoming issue, but... Uh, when I was over there, everybody was saying, oh, I said, when are you leaving for Vegas? Tomorrow or, uh, yeah. you know, tomorrow night. A day or two. So uh, everybody was ready to go, all excited, I guess. Uh, you know, having been out there a couple of times for never more than five days, but I uh, can't imagine what being there seven weeks is like. But uh, uh, it's got to be a great summer, especially if you go year in, year out. And it's uh, like summer camp where you get to see everybody again. It is, but this is a summer camp where if you do really well, you come home with a lot more money. <laughs> and if you don't, it's a very expensive summer camp. Yeah, absolutely. I would say uh, it's tough. It's a it's a different t- kind of life. Uh, no no question about it. But uh, everybody's very excited in the beginning. A lot of events and things take off very quickly. Uh, so uh, it's going to be a great time. I'll tell you what. Who's a guy who's having the greatest time of anybody was the winner of the Super High Roller Bowl, Justin Bonomo who's been absolutely on fire lately. Uh, he won $5 million there. Earlier this year, back in March, he won the Super High Roller Bowl China for $4.8 million. Wow. And then I read $10 million it, between those two. And the first thing I look on my Twitter this morning, and he, it's uh, 5.08 Eastern time, which is 2 o'clock in the morning, he said, uh, you're not going to believe this, but I just won a 25K uh, high, high Roller Bowl over at the, uh, at the uh, Venetian. Wow, so this guy is just absolutely oh, on fire. Yeah, he's he's definitely in, a, in 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 that poker zone. But a lot of fun, and uh, watched a good bit of the Super High Roller Bowl. Daniel Negreanu finished second, so really a tremendous tournament. Uh, and uh, this guy is just basically unbelievable right now. It's pretty incredible. But you know what, Dave? If you go back and think about it, there's always it always seems like one of the top pros in the world. Is coming in with a lot of momentum, and he's just creating some of it even more, you know, as he's playing now over there. So, you know, it's amazing. Like I said, once you've won, you feel like like you can't lose, and you're reading people, reading the situation so perfect. There, it seems like everything has just slowed down for you, and you're making the the the, the absolute correct moves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a special guest tonight that will join us in about uh, oh, about 15 minutes or so. Uh, Sherry Bykovsky, I talked about a little bit last week. Uh, written a new book that's uh, coming out. Actually, I think the release date is tomorrow, on June 5th, uh, called "The Kaizen of Poker." And it's uh, a Japanese word that means continuous improvement. So uh, obviously that's the goal when you're uh, a beginner. If you're Justin Bonomo, I don't think you uh, have any room for improvement. No, but you know what? You know, she she states 36 points as a checklist for, for poker players to do. And like you said, Justin Bonomo is one of those zones. But I'm sure for him to have gotten to the point where he's at right now, he'll probably tell you how important almost every single one of these checkpoints 
was to him at a certain point when he mastered the, the, that particular thing that, that Sherry asked you to check and see if you're doing this at, at, at your optimum best. So um, even top pros every now and then have to kind of I, – I, I would imagine every now and then when you're going through those cycles, Dave, as a top pro, and you almost get to a point where you doubt yourself. And I remember Jason Mercier telling us that in one of our interviews many Absolutely. years ago. Absolutely. After he had won a couple of tournaments and then couldn't cash one in. And he was even thinking of quitting. I'm sure there's a lot of young pros who felt like that. Sometimes it's just a matter of going through this and going, oh, my goodness. How did I, how, how did I forget that? How did I put that in the back of my mind and not follow that? And then all of a sudden you see you know, the leaps and bounds in your game. All of a sudden for them it's just getting back to where they were. But for players like myself... For novice players, people who are just trying to pick up the game, you know, for me, like I said, I went through some of these things. That checklist is great. Might be a little overwhelming for a new, for for a brand new poker player, but you have to do them one by one, and you'll see how your game improves. And hopefully, I'll be able to question Sherry on some of those. Well, if Justin and uh, Negranu and some of those guys don't need it, certainly players that are out of the series right now oh. uh, are gonna. Uh, it'd be a perfect time to have that book with you at the hotel, and to uh, wake up the next morning after you get knocked out of a tournament and say, "Listen." What did I do wrong? And then and you can just uh, identify the green. That's a great, great comment you made there, Dave. That is, uh, that is exactly what a lot of people should do with this book starting tomorrow. And when you do have that time to go over some of these things, look at, look at the, the sessions that she has on those 36 checklists and say, wait a minute, let me, let me read this chapter here because this exactly. is where I think I, I, I made a mistake yesterday. Yeah, a lot of people don't really like to identify you know, the hard work of, that you need to put in to, to improve your game. And uh, probably will look at a lot of these things. Oh, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that. But even good players like these probably once in a while can see some go, you know, I kind of forgot about that. I've got to take a look at that part of my game. Exactly. And I've, I've actually done that when I've been teaching people to become dealers because I give them scenarios so they're sharp. And as I'm giving them scenarios, I realize, oh, my goodness, I haven't, I haven't practiced what, I've been, what I just started preaching to them as far as an observer of, on a poker table. And it... I, if I go play poker within a day or two after that, I realize how much doing that all of a sudden brought back a different aspect of my game that Absolutely. helped me cash out. Absolutely. Uh, Super High Roller Bowl finished up uh, over the weekend. Uh, Bonomo wins $5 million for that event, as I mentioned. Daniel Negranu was very entertaining and played very well. Uh, comes in second, wins $3 million. Jason Kuhn was third, $2.1 million. Uh, the chip leader last week when we were on the show was uh, Makita Badziakuski, uh, I found out. Is I'm the glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, I found that pronunciation watching uh, a lot on Poker Go. He was fourth. Christoph Vogelsang, last year's winner, finished fifth. And Nick Petrangelo was sixth. Stephen Chidwick and Seth Davies round out the cashers in this uh, tournament. Seth Davies, one of the guys who was identified in that I- insider yeah. show. Uh, Brandon Adams, who's from uh, South Florida, uh, was also in that program but did not cash. And uh, Negranu, obviously the big showing there. So that was kind of the kickoff to the uh, month and a half, what I guess, uh, seven, seven or eight weeks that yep. we're headed into. And there's several events already done, some bracelets coming out, including a former world champion. So I want to get to some of that uh, here as we take a look. Uh, a big tournament going on right now that's actually being shown on Poker Go is the $100,000 tournament. And uh, they are down to the final three. They started the final table today uh, about an hour ago. And uh, Nick Petrangelo is the chip leader. Uh, Elio Fox, who already won a bracelet in event number two, is second. And Ayman Hada 
is third. But listen to this. Petrangelo has 31.9 million chips. Fox, 12.8 in second. Hada has 7.8. Down to the final three. Uh, Stephen Chidwick, Bryn Kenny, and Andreas Eiler have been knocked out. So uh, that's going on right now on Poker Go. If you want to catch some of that, the end of that, 105 entries in a $100,000 buy-in tournament. Uh, so the prize pool over $10 million. Wow. Pretty amazing. Uh, several other events have been contested. We'll get to uh, those here momentarily. Uh, event number one, obviously, was the um, casino employees. And uh, it doesn't get a lot of publicity, but it kind of is very nice to kick things off and uh, pretty interesting. Uh, we'll see if we get you the winner there and tell you a little about him. But the big first big tournament was the $10,000 Super Super Turbo Bounty, and that was won by Elio Fox. If you recognize the name, he won World Series of Poker Europe of, uh, about three years ago. But Fox uh, wins that for three hundred ninety-three thousand. Second place now in the tournament you just mentioned, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow, pretty pretty. He, uh, guys are hot. Guys are red hot. Uh, Adam Adler, who's from South Florida. I don't know if you've ever seen him. I'll see if I can come up with a picture. But he finished. He's from South Florida. Also finished second in that tournament. Paul Volpe was third. Uh, Joe Cotta was ninth. Uh, Joe Cotta, the former world champ, uh, wins uh, 27000 for ninth place. So that was a kind of a uh, a little tip on things to come. Because uh, <laughs> Cotta wins event number three, which is the uh, $3,000 no-limit hold'em shootout. Where a shootout format, obviously, where you have to win your table to advance to the next round. Right. Win your table again to get to the final table. And then finish things up. But a great field there. I watched a good bit of that yesterday. Uh, Kata, obviously from Michigan. Uh, the winner, 226000 Sam Phillips from uh, West Palm Beach uh, comes in second. And Joe McKeon was third. So there was a very good uh, final table there as well. Uh, one other South Florida player, Jeffrey Trudeau, that plays down here a lot, uh, finished in the top ten. But uh, McKeon wins 100000 101,000 actually. Phillips 139k, and Joe Cotta is third. Bracelet, uh, of course, back in 2009 he became the youngest player ever to win a main event. So uh, a good n- good night for him. One mm-hmm. thing I thought was kind of funny. Uh, I'm at Highly and watching some of the things, and one of the one of the players was from Arizona. His name was uh, Ray Tegi, and uh, on the on the uh, Simulcast or the uh, the Poker Go uh, broadcast, uh, Ali Najad and Maria Ho were calling him Redagui, which I thought was pretty funny, having heard all these Basque names and knowing them <laughs> as much as calling them as much as I do. But uh, someone had told him, no, no, it's an incorrect pronunciation. And Maria says, well, uh, I think it's Reteji, uh, uh, Reteji. And, and he goes, ah, that doesn't sound right. So they go, ah, let's just stick with Redagui. <laughs> so by the time... No one wanted to figure out how to properly pronounce <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, so he eventually got knocked out. I don't know if he was Basque or not. He sounds like it, but uh, he was from uh, Arizona. Anyway, he ended up getting knocked out in seventh place. But McKeon, uh, always entertaining to watch him play uh, with that stare down and uh, played very well. But Joe Cotta gets the win in the tournament, which is uh, pretty cool, I think. Well, congratulations, Joe. Uh, several other things underway now, and we'll get to some of that later in the program. But we will tell you that uh, the event number one was won by Jordan Hufty, who is actually a dealer and floor man at the Aria. 
Oh, stayed, so in, stayed, cool. stayed in, in Vegas. Originally from Michigan, he moved to Vegas uh, a few years ago and plays mostly online. Uh, but he uh, he won that tournament. Jody Sanders finished second. Katie Kopp was third. And how much did he win for that tournament? He Does won uh, sixty-one thousand nine hundred. Very nice. Uh, Five sixty-five buy-in for casino employees only. And how many? Does it say how many entrants were in there? There were. That's a good question, Joe. Let's see if I can figure that out. I'm not on the right page for that. I. Uh, Oh, five sixty six. Here it is. Five sixty six. So the buy in was five sixty five and, and the and the and the yeah, entrance of five sixty six players. Right, Correct. Nice. Uh, Chad Holloway, our friend that's been on the show with us before, uh played but uh did not cash. Also, uh, Kevin Mathers, who uh, we've had on the show as well, a couple of our uh, friends that will be working very hard over the course of the next seven weeks, uh also played in the event. Uh, Ty Stewart, who is the uh, executive director of the WSOP, plays every year. He finished in 52nd, won 1000 bucks, 1085 And uh, that's about all the names that pop out of me. Uh, but uh, that got things kicked off on Wednesday, last uh, Wednesday. And uh, they have moved on now in, uh, at a very quick pace and, and got things going here. So we'll follow all that stuff uh, as we move through the night. I want to take our first break in the show. When we come back, we'll have our guest tonight, uh, the writer of Kaizen, the Kaizen of Poker, which comes out tomorrow and uh, very helpful for your your improvement in your game. Uh, Sherry uh, will talk to a little bit. She's a former ladies event winner, lives in New Jersey, and we'll hook up with her on Skype uh, during the break. And when we come back, we'll talk to her about her 36-point checklist and all the other things she talks about in the book. When we return, you're listening to Poker Action Line, and we'll be back with Sherry after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. The traditional light bulb, a groundbreaking invention in 1879. Other groundbreaking ideas from that time, the whalebone corset, the pedal-operated submarine, and the two-story outhouse. We've come a long way since then. It's time our light bulbs did the same. Visit energysavers.gov and learn about energy-saving light bulbs. See, these new bulbs are more efficient than the old ones, like a text message is more efficient than a carrier pigeon. They last longer, too, like how we humans last longer now that doctors use antibiotics instead of leeches. And they cut down on our energy costs, because in our own groundbreaking age of aeroplanes and moving pictures, we deserve a light bulb that saves us some cash. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. And welcome back to the show. Big Dave and Joe uh, talking about uh, some of the early action out in Las Vegas. Be a long summer. A lot of stuff on uh, Poker Go. Uh, Again, I can't recommend that highly enough that if you like to watch poker, uh, this is the place to go. And right now they are covering that... uh, 
that big tournament that's going on now down to three players, uh, and we'll uh, get back to that for the results a, a little bit later in the show. But we want to bring on our guest, uh, Sherry Bykovsky, who is uh, basically a literary agent because uh, we talked about Sherry just a little bit when we had Johnny Campus on two weeks ago. Uh, Johnny's book uh, off to a good start, I guess, in the early going. Uh, now that that's been released, Sherry's comes out tomorrow from uh, ECW Press uh, out of Toronto uh, in paperback. And uh, Sherry, thanks so much for uh, taking a few minutes to be with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, uh, one of the things that really intrigued Joe and I when we uh, looked at your bio was uh, the work that you've done with Lou Krieger. And Lou passed, uh, I guess it's been probably three or four years now at least, uh, yeah. And you wrote a book with him called uh, uh, Secrets the Pros Won't Tell You About Winning Hold'em Poker. And we enjoyed Lou's stuff on uh, Poker Player Magazine. Uh, Joe was yes. actually uh, running a card room, and they had uh, distributed that, and uh, Joe would grab the first copy every day it came in. But uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your, your relationship with Lou and the writing that you did with him, uh, especially the first book. Uh, well... That was our third book together. Oh, okay. Okay. He was a dear, dear beloved friend. He was my author. I, you know, I was his agent. And and writing that book, we both agreed we did it remotely. He was in Palm Springs, and I lived in Manhattan. And it was just such an easy collaboration. We just both of us wished that every project we ever had our whole lives were just as copacetic and and lovely. We would just write some chapters and switch them and edit each other and I input the whole thing. It was actually my idea. I started with that title, Secrets the Pros Won't Tell You about winning Holden Poker and uh and he loved it. We just it was just easy. He jumped right on board and I sold it to the publisher and uh it, the rest was history. We wrote a book on for we wrote one for beginners and we wrote one on the rules. That was supposed to be called the ultimate argument settler. Oh, okay. <laughs> Joe, that to the Joe, Joe would know a great deal about that. That was his job for many years uh, as a as a manager and a floor person. So uh, uh-huh. uh, that was uh, that's the one we'll have to pick up as well. Uh, obviously, a big shock when Lou passed away, and yeah. I'm sure I'm sure you miss him dearly. And yes. we miss uh, Poker Player. Was that the Stanley Sludikoff was the publisher of that? What is that right? Yes, but that I wasn't involved in uh, okay. a, a lot of Lou's life. His poker life was uh, separate. He had a very big poker world. I just wrote these few books with him, and he he had some books that he published with them, but I wasn't his agent for those books. But as a literary agent, what exactly is involved in that? Did you work for a big publisher in New York City, and then uh, you basically... Uh just tried to work on uh, selling the books for people, uh, getting the publicity? Well, I have my own corporation, Sherry Bykovsky Associates, Inc., and I started that in 1991 in New York City. I represent authors to agents, so when they pitch me a book that sounds like I can sell it and find a publisher for it, I run with it, and then I negotiate the contract, and then the books come out, and I get my commission. I work only on commission and only on books that I want to work on. And some of those books are not just poker books. I've represented maybe a thousand books oh, wow. on all subjects. But it does inc- my list does include uh, Phil Helmuth's first book, Play Poker, uh, Play Poker Like the Pros, right. 
It includes Mike Mattisau, Check Raising the Devil. It includes Gary Carson, David Apostolico, several books. Right. Uh, really, at least 10 big poker names. And that's just a, a niche and, of my... And just thinking. curious, what was your favorite book that you ever published or that you ever worked on? Uh, the Kaizen of Poker. No, of I'm course, not kidding. Of course, of course. I'm not kidding. Was there, was there like a major author that you worked with that you were really proud? Oh, I, 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 did, I worked a lot with Tom Wolfe or something like that. I, I've done a lot of nonfiction. I really enjoy representing Leslie Rule, Anne's Rule Anne Rule's daughter. I just sold her first big crime book. Um, her mom was a big multi-million dollar, the biggest true crime author ever, and Leslie's going to pick up in her footsteps. I represent Richard Roper, oh, okay. a wonderful celebrity. Yeah, you know the, him. The film from, guy. Yeah, the film guy. Uh, I, I can't even, I mean, I've There's been doing so it many. so long. I, I see books on my friend's shelves all the time that uh, I, they were there because of me, and it just feels fabulous. Tell I don't me a, really have an, a favorite. Tell me a little <laughs> about your poker play. Uh, I know that you won the ladies' event uh, on, on the circuit uh, one year, I guess in 2005. So you've been an avid player for a long time. Um, tell me how you got into the game, first of all, and, uh, and what you think your greatest accomplishment is. I, I'll start with the greatest accomplishment. Well, I used to play on Poker Stars when I lived in Manhattan. I'm on the Jersey Shore now, okay. and I um, I won a seat into the world into the World Series of Poker for thirty three dollars. I think it was there were about four hundred and sixty four or four hundred and eighty four people. I kept the tournament screen on the whole time. I was pretty much in the top few players the whole tournament. Had nothing but bad luck. I mean, I lost a few uh, toss-ups, but I always had the bigger stack. I just kept my stack big. And I was watching the whole screen, and I came in first. Uh, they gave away two seats out of those 484 people, two seats. The first one was mine. I had millions of chips. The second place barely had one chip left, but he got a seat too. And I'd say that was my biggest accomplishment. It was Wonderful. Uh, so it was a good eleven thousand dollar package, a week in Vegas, a seat awesome. in World Series. That was that was yeah. I mean I won another tournament like sixteen thousand dollars. I don't even think that was first place on Poker Stars, but so many years ago. But that wasn't my biggest accomplishment. So yeah, and I won that I won the lady I won several ladies tournaments in Atlantic City and uh I think I've won about a hundred yeah, I've won hundreds of tournaments. I've been at the final table, a lot of local tournaments and casino tournaments but i'm very used to doing deals and or winning or placing at the final table did you start playing when you were young uh the family played around the table and that sort of thing that's what johnny said i think his life was like i know my story's a little different uh when i lived in manhattan i was a scrabble expert wow and my friends who i played scrabble with they were the national tournament champions. They were the ones who were on TV when they won the big Scrabble tournament every year. So uh, the two-time national champion was my good friend, and the top female-rated player was my good friend. And we all decided to start uh, a poker game. I, I Really, I have to say, it was 40 years ago <laughs> in Manhattan. Wow. And um, But when we started playing poker around our home 
around our dining room table, we weren't like other people playing 25, 50 cents, 10, 20 cents and smoking cigars and, and kibitzing. We were serious game people. So we really worked hard to play the game well, to play the game right, to know the rules. To, it was serious. And so when the lipstick camera was invented and poker suddenly became a big spectator sport and they had it on TV and Hold'em became popular, I was already an expert player. So I wrote one of the earlier, one of the earlier books. I guess Lou and I did. Okay. Uh, his real name was Roger. Oh, I didn't he, know that. He had two, per, he had two personas. <laughs> one was a very mild, meek and mild Roger. And uh, then when he went to the poker room, because I would go play poker with him sometimes, he was uh, Lou Krieger. He was a different person. He <laughs> thought of himself as Lou Krieger when he was in the poker room. Wow. Well, uh, so Joe, and I, Joe and I have been huge proponents of trying to encourage women, more women, to play poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we follow the ladies' events, and uh, obviously we'd love to see more ladies play in the open events uh get more than the 3 or 4% we get in the main event each year and it seems to be on the rise but uh do you like uh, the way uh, women's events are set up and do you enjoy playing them or uh are you more like Annie Duke and don't don't feel that uh, they should be segregated like that uh i don't have the i don't have the same opinion as Annie Duke i do uh i've always I have a lot of respect for the ladies' tournaments because um, oh, I have a lot to say about it, <laughs> maybe too much. Uh, the thing is, you really get a sense when you play in a ladies' tournament how much in, in a regular open tournament with men and women, there's so much bluffing and posturing and there's like a raise every hand. When you play in a ladies' tournament, there's a lot of like fold, 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 move the blinds around because they're playing more honestly. And the, it starts off where the players are really easy and uh, it's boring. But when you get to the final table of a fe- of a women's tournament, the, those players are the top strategic, interesting players. Those are some of the best final tables ever. Uh, that sounds great. Yeah, and awesome. and I think women have an edge when they learn how to play well. So I absolutely think they should be encouraged to play whatever it takes, female tournament or I mean a women's tournament or 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 just playing smaller games until they get comfortable. But they have an edge when they learn how to play well because nobody sees it coming. Okay. Um, well, we'll save that for another time. It'll be a, a more interesting. Uh discussion as far as uh, women's play, one that we talk about a lot, but let's uh, get to the book because that's the, the the subject at hand right now, and I'm sure you're extremely excited about it coming out tomorrow. Uh, yes. Will you be uh, waiting for that phone call from the publisher and see how many books you sold the first day? Um, I've never actually experienced, I've written over 30 books myself. Only four of them are on poker, but I've never actually had that experience. This publisher is incredible. They did a beautiful job in the cover. The Kaizen of Poker, how to continuously improve your Hold'em game. I love to. I, I recommend all authors say the title of their books whenever they can. Yeah, but I don't know how many they printed, and I was thinking of calling them tomorrow and finding out um, how how what kind of start it got off to and how many they printed and. And I'm very eager to be out running to do book signings and talk about it. And 
and uh, I have a new poker students, and uh, you're my first radio show oh, to talk okay. about the book. Glad, glad to have you on. Uh, I'll bring Joe in because Joe is really the poker expert on the sh- on the show. Uh, I'm kind of a novice player that that's improving a little bit, and so I probably need the book more than he does. But uh, no, no, trust me, I, I I need to make sure I go through this checklist myself. Joe, you t- you took a lot of stuff away from it. Uh, that has the checklist, which is the basis for the book, and the different things you need to identify. Uh, but what really popped out at you uh, as you start reading the different things on the checklist? Well, let me tell you, as I started your book, Sherry, one of the things in the introduction that I marked right away was the second paragraph there where you write, poker involves money, and as such is your business, even if it is only your hobby. And I thought that was just a great, you know, <laughs> a great comment <laughs> you made there because... A lot of people don't look at that. You're constantly told how to, you know, that if you want to succeed in poker, money management. But this entails not only money management, but learning the proper skills and learning how to improve your game. And and it is. I don't. I don't think enough people look at it as a business. And I love the fact that you put that right out there in the introduction. Do you think? Oh, thank you very much. I, I believe that. I also want to say you said it's more for Joe than for uh, Dave, but the thing is, my basic premise is that anyone can improve at any level, no matter what level you're at, no matter how much you know, no matter how well you're doing, how poorly you're doing, you can get better. And you owe it to yourself because it's a game with money and because why play unless you really want to do your best and and prevail. And so the book is aimed at anyone who wants to improve. And I I think any uh, any level uh, that you're at, you always need to keep on looking to improve. In poker, just like in everything else, but in poker is where I love to uh, look at improvement. And and you can measure your improvement in the money, too. Yeah. (laughs) Sure, I wanted to ask you because... And checkpoint, yeah. I do. I, obviously, we don't have enough time, or, or you, right. to go through all 36. But like in, in 14, um, uh, checklist point. Did, did you study the other players' personalities and try to read their cards? Uh-huh. And I love that on page 91 of your book, you you write putting players on hands. Yes. And I don't know. Is that something that you yourself came up with? Was this a collaboration with Lou Krieger and other great no, poker that's writers? Me. That's you. Because yeah. let me tell you. That, I think, is one of the biggest things that novice players, intermediate, you know, people who are right maybe from the middle on down, they need to do this. And I remember when I read somewhere many years ago in Card Player, I, I believe it was Howard Letter or something that I read him say, you know, when you're not in a hand, you want to start improving your game, you got to start paying attention to the other players and as showdown comes down, we know that not every hand you could see what someone had because they don't get called or they bluffed mm-hmm. and they mucked. You know, you only see one player. But as you're starting to see players, you know, expose their hands at the river, you know, yes. try to get that. I'm, I try to tell people, and I think this is wonderful how it's written here, is that you need to know, you know, did I get this person correctly on this hand, you know, which automatically create like a different sense in you, I think, you know, and all of a sudden you take it almost as a challenge to see, well, I'm getting 20% right. Can I get it up to 30 and 40% of the time right? And I saw a big, you know, jump for me once I started doing this and I was able to probably get between 50 and 70% of the time of properly putting people on on their hands. Um, 
what is your feedback on this been? I mean, when you wrote this, huh, and yeah. when, when did this revelation come to you as a poker player? <laughs> yeah, we definitely, I love that you picked up on that because that is, that is the key to improving right there. First of all, the way the book works, there are 36 uh, areas that you can improve on, and you, you take the morning after checklist, and figure out where you went wrong or where you went right, but where you went wrong, and then you turn to the section with, that has the corresponding number with a kind of an interactive uh, effort to improve in that area. But the thing about reading other, uh, the reading the cards the other players are holding, I did have an epiphany one day because I've always been trying to read their cards, and just like you describe, and I have a really good story about it. But before that, my big epiphany was. I'm sitting at the table. There are maybe 80 tables at the Brigada or wherever I'm playing. Uh, I've been to all 50 states. So wherever I am, I'm playing poker. There are 80 tables, 40 tables, 10 people at that table. 99% of them don't even think. They think they're poker players, and they, they may even win sometimes, and they think they're good. But 99% of the people sitting around those tables don't even think that this very most important skill that you really need to be a pro or a good player, a winning player, they don't even think it's a part of the game. They know the starting hands. They know the flop, the turn, the river. They may know about position. They may know about aggression. They may know about size betting. Uh, continuation betting, but do they think about what that guy might be holding or or when that lady raises, does she have uh, wh what are her two cards? what were they when she what what is her range of play what what cards is she willing to play in what position and what does she do with them? Because people are predictable. It's really not hard to figure out those cards as you found yourself with your seventy percent very impressive. but the fact is, People aren't even at 1% if they don't even give it a whirl to try. And most people don't try. Isn't that, it's unbelievable to me. It's, it's wild. You have to be able to take their money yeah, when and, they're and, not making effort. And Sherry, let me tell you, it's like you said, at once, at once that epiphany hit me also, and I yeah. started getting this. And, I'm, and, you know, for the people listening out there, don't be embarrassed. Because, like, you know, at first I wasn't putting on people. Then you have to start studying the game, and then you go, wow, I didn't even... Didn't even didn't even cross my mind that that person would have those two cards in their hand, and then that starts lending yourself to knowing the players, you know, mm -hmm. not only the cards but the, their personality. You'll be able it'll be much easier to start putting on on range of hands like you said, and like like you said, once you start doing that, whether it's a cash game or tournament, you're going to see yourself going further in tournaments, and you're definitely going to see your bankroll starting to increase if you're playing nothing but cash games once you continually start, you know, getting the people on those right hands and then knowing what kind of hands they're willing to call because not not only, you know, can you recognize their cards, but if you can kind of guess the type of hands they're going to play, you can punish them on much earlier streets because you know they're going to call because of the, the you know, the their their fishing for something out there yeah. and you're going to make them pay for that so I, I think that's a great point that you have in your book that every poker player needs to do. if they haven't started doing it that's one of the things that I tell people they have to really start doing to try to improve their game Joe may I tell you about my favorite read because it illustrates what anyone could do how to read cards um, do you have a minute to hear it sure. absolutely sure. 
Okay. I was at a tournament, and the uh, dealer, his name was Bill, he's still talking about this amazing read that I did that day. He just thinks I'm a magician. But it was easy. Here's how it went. There was a man in the a big blind, and everyone limped around. There were several limpers in the game. And when it got back to this big blind, he was like, he, was, he didn't hide how thrilled he was that nobody raised. He goes, check, like, wow, nobody <laughs> raised. I get to play this garbage hand. His, everything about him said this is a garbage hand. So then suddenly the flop is queen, jack, five, and there, was, there were no, not suited. Queen, jack, five, rainbow, flop. And now the guy's all interested and excited, and he bets out. And at that point, actually, it was just, and he bets out, and one guy folds, another guy folds, and I was last. So I said, obviously, you don't even bet five cents, because I wouldn't call it. You obviously have queen five offsuit. And he, like, flipped up his queen five offsuit and just went berserk. How could I possibly know that? Because... It was obvious, and I was the only one who paid attention. He was miserable about the big blind, and then he was thrilled with the flop. It was easy. You, you, you probably gave out too much information if they were paying attention, the other players on the table, because you were <laughs> able to read that person so perfectly. And and the top player that I used to love seeing him do that, you know, throughout the years watching the WSOP is Daniel Negrano. Yeah, and I've, I've seen him. It. I've mentioned that I've seen him on TV go. I think you got this, and you got me beat. But I'm going to make this call just to see if I'm correct on your cards. And man, it was amazing to me how often he he would put people on their hands, even when they didn't show it. And like you said in the WSOP with the lipstick camera, sometimes you got to see the other players' hands as they were playing it out, even if they didn't show it. But yep. he seems to fascinate people when they do that. And, and they, like you said, like this gentleman couldn't believe that you were able to read them so easy. And unfortunately, if they don't look to improve their games, they're still going to be very easy to read. Oh, for sure. When I was in a tournament with Phil Helmuth because I was his agent. It was a little exhibition tournament at his publishing company, maybe 20, 20 people. I ended up winning, and he was second. And it all came down to a pivotal hand. He just he completely prides himself on reading other players. He had no idea about this woman sitting in front of him. It had, <laughs> I, that he didn't think I could bluff. So I had queen four, we're heads up, I made a big play, and he took his pocket nines, his signature cards, he threw them face down, and, and he was so certain that I had him beat. I had queen high with a four kicker, and then I won that hand, but that was a pivotal hand. It allowed me to win the tournament, and I never showed him. I mean, I didn't want him to turn over the table, did he, but did I did he, did win he berate, the money. Did he berate you after that? He didn't berate me, but he didn't look happy. He wanted to win that tournament in front of his publisher, and I was not going to let him win it. I was very thrilled to win. Let me ask you quickly about the uh, the, the checklist. Do you um, do you think a lot of players will be as conscientious, um, maybe as you are, in going down and and uh, sticking with this whole thing and, and looking at everything because. Uh, so many players are so lazy, and they, they say they want to get better, but maybe they really don't if they don't want to delve into uh, the entire checklist. It's the, that is true, but 
a lot of things. People join a gym and think that they're going to get muscles, but they never go. Mm -hmm. But I think that, I think Kaizen of Poker with my checklist is an inviting book, and it's fun, and it's in short snippets, and you don't have to start at the beginning and go to the end. You can really just go to the part about reading players or the part that intrigues you or you want to get better at. So I think if people are serious, they will find this is a tool that will uh, take them to the next level. And this does feel so good to go to the next level, right, Joe? Oh, absolutely, Sherry, absolutely. I, I wanted, like I said, I just put out a few little pointers here. I wanted to get your opinion on the, uh, in number 19, did you recognize strong players? And in, in one of the, on the page 133, you, you have called the rocks and you're on the rocks. And <laughs> novice players really need to know this, really need to pay attention to this. And as you say, it's, it's not a matter, you know, get out of their way because you know these people are only playing premium hands. But also as you start gaining a little bit more experience, if I remember it, that you say that doesn't mean you have to fold every time they raise. Because right. I know that one of the biggest pots that I ever saw was a, a friend of mine that was playing in my room. I was a poker manager down here for many years. And he was playing in a 2-5 game that was playing more like a 10-25 game. And that's how the, the craziness is down here in South Florida. And there was a very tight player who took a, a raise into a pot that had already been raised. And the first raise you could throw out because of the aggressiveness down here. But once he raised, I happened to be watching the table. I knew he had, I said, he's got to have aces or kings. There's no right. other two aces hands he's got. Kings. And my friend calls him. So I'm going, he's, he's a smart player. I know he's got to know that this guy's got aces or kings. So I go, he's probably fishing. Well, the flop came out, ace, seven, seven. And we had a very famous hand last year in the World Series of Poker uh, when a seven hit on the river between uh, Kathy Liebert and uh, the, uh, the other lady. Well, in this case, he did have the pocket aces for aces full of sevens. And before they got to the turn, you know, they got all their money in. And my friend was just there with this, you know, this, this grin that, you know, you just <laughs> he, just, he just stole money. And I knew right then and there, that he had, he had called with pocket sevens, sevens. exactly. So <laughs> those are one of the ones that you normally want to stay out of the way. I mean, you get somebody like with the rock that I've seen, and, you know, unless I do have maybe a pocket pair that I want to take a shot to see if I can, you know, stack them, it's best to stay out of their way. And as you, and I believe you also say that it also matters in that, in that paragraph there uh, where you sit, in, in, you know, relative to the aggressive players novice players need to learn this right away they're going to get yeah. punished because of the constant raising into you know into them if their players are on their left and the you know it keeps coming around to them and they got to keep putting more money in and they have to start thinking about whether that's a hand that they're willing to put more money in and i love how you you know worded that 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 area absolutely you, you can trap if someone's on your left being aggressive you let them raise you just win the money backwards from those players, and st you have to stay out of hands that, that you're not willing to raise, you don't limp. You, you fold or you limp if you expect to re-raise or, uh, or let them give you money. I like what you said there because a lot of people, novice players, don't understand that. If you're constantly at a table and you know that this player has been raising three out of five hands or four out of five hands, you've got a great hand. If this guy has no clue that you haven't played a hand and you're just calling because you're hoping he raises so you can come back and kick him back up again, you know, 
these are the things, like I said, by studying the players and, and you know, putting people on hand. Sometimes they're not even putting them on hand. You're putting them on an action that they're going to do that you're going to make them pay for it. I love knowing what people are going to do. I know how the whole hand's going to play out sometimes before the cards are even dealt. <laughs> and, let me tell, and Sherry, one other thing that I really wanted to touch on, because I know this was one of my biggest problems, and I believe this to be a problem for people who've been playing for a long time, you know, is in, on, on uh, your checklist number 22, did you get married to hands? And I think oh. this is a problem that just about every novice player, everybody who's ever played poker at the very beginning did this, um, you know, unless they were very well schooled before they started. It is, and you have a perfect example in here, I believe, where you said, you know, if someone, if there's a 225 and you've got aces and kings and somebody's calling with you with an overpair, you can almost certainly put them on on on, uh, on trips because they're not going to be calling into you like that. And, it took me a yeah. it took me a long time to release hands. Now those became a lot easier, Sherry. Did you go through the same through the same uh, learning process that you know that you were you were hell bent on not releasing aces because you just convinced yourself that this person could not have called with such an ugly you know with pair of deuces on the board? What could he have called me with a deuce in his hand when I raised? I don't think I've ever really been guilty of getting married to hands, but I think it goes hand in hand with reading the cards and what the other players are capable of, that um, you you will release those hands way easier the more you understand what the other people are capable of and whether they're, there are two sevens out there and they're bluffing. Are they capable of bluffing that they have a seven? Very few people are. But if there's a guy who's always bluffing and you've seen him do it or you see whether he's confident in his eyes or just trying to trick you off your aces, <laughs> that's when you, you're not really getting married. You're going by a good read. So getting releasing a, a, a hand is very easy when you know and, and are confident with the other person has. And, and I, I like to tell people who are going to be reading your book and get to this point, not only those hands, because like I said, I believe once there's a, a pocket, you know, a pair that's hit on the flop, you know, sooner or later, you know, like they say, you know, if, if, you, if you keep looking down and falling, you're going to stop looking down, you know, you, you eventually start releasing those, but you also have to get to another level, which, you know, I, I and not for anything, but I remember my brother who took up the game many years after me, and he's a big fan of Luke Rieger. He's an avid reader, my brother, and he's been published for writing stories back when he was in the Peace Corps in the Philippines, and he just devoured these books and became a much better player. And I remember at a tournament, he had pocket aces in a three-way pot that they raised to a certain amount and finally stopped, and the flop came, deuce, four, nine, I still remember it, rainbow, and he thought he had hit a very good flop, and one guy came out betting, he slow played it because he was in between them. The guy to his left just shoved. And the first player called, and my brother just looked at the table. He goes, everybody, both of you are all in. He goes, I guess my aces are no longer any good with such an ugly flop. And sure enough, the first guy had pocket queens and thought they were good, and the guy who raised all in had hit a set of nines. And, That's you know, when I looked at that, and I told my brother, and my brother goes, what else? He goes, what else could he have had to make that race? And... You know, that's when I started realizing, hey, you know, you really cannot get married to, to, to any pocket pair. And I still find that watching that when I was a manager, when I was a dealer, and myself as a player, that's one of the biggest things that I see people do. 
Yeah. You know, even even people who are playing for large amounts of money, they just they don't want to believe that their opponent has outflopped them. And you know, I love what you write in here because it's it's short and sweet on pages 148 and 149. <laughs> but they should definitely read that many times to themselves and make sure that they don't go they don't get trapped in that the next day when they're checking their list. And Joe, just the other day, I I was playing so tight. I try not to bluff a lot because then I'm not going to get caught bluffing when it's an optimum time. If I'm if I hardly ever do it, I won't get caught doing it. But I'm very willing and able to do it at the right time for a big pot. But I raised so I was in, in a lot of hands. I was folding, 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 and then I raised with pocket tens. Well, everyone knows, even if they weren't paying any attention at all, that I was playing tight. So another guy raised, and another guy raised him. And I was like, I got them folding my tens. Yeah. Even yeah. If, I mean, I knew there were, they were two higher pairs than that. But even if there weren't, if someone had ace-queen, those tens were so vulnerable. I don't want to go all in on a gamble. I've been working hard for my chips. I had nice stack in front of me. Goodbye, tens. <laughs> yeah. Sherry, I, I know that uh, this is one of those shows that we could probably do about four hours. Unfortunately, <laughs> yep. we only have an hour show, but uh, <laughs> the book is The Kaizen of Poker. It's available on ecwpress.com is a great place to go find the book, and they can buy it, I guess, on there. Uh, Amazon, what? any bookstore. Okay, and, and all the online places, uh, but ECW Press. Uh, is where it is, and of course people can respond to them, check it out there, and they can uh, let people know what they think of it when they do pick up the book. Uh, just in closing, since you're in New Jersey, uh, obviously things have changed a lot over the last year, uh, and especially over the last few months now that there's a combined liquidity between the other states. Have you noticed a big difference online? I don't know how much we play online, but have you, no from, what you've, from what you've heard, uh, you know, are things changing up there? I know that the Atlantic City seems to be making somewhat of a renaissance. Ah, I couldn't believe it. I had to wait to get out of the Borgata. I had to wait 15 minutes to get on an elevator and another 15 minutes to get out of the parking lot. It was so crowded. And now there are two more casinos opening on June 28th. Yeah, the, the Hard the Rock, Rebel. but without a poker room. And the Ocean Casino, I hope, will have a poker room. Okay. So... Well, yeah. I, I certainly, uh, you know, we hope things keep improving. We hope uh, with Pennsylvania coming online soon that uh, this brings a lot more people into the live game. We're certainly looking forward to that as well. Uh, we have to have you back on in a few oh, weeks yes. uh, to, <laughs> once the book is out and, and there starts to get some response in there because Joe works so hard on the things he wanted to talk about, and I think he just uh, scraped the top of the iceberg. Yeah, this is just like very little, yeah. Sherry, but I, like I said, I know we're – press for time but i, I want to thank you for writing this book on behalf of all poker players out there because this is going to help the the large 90 to 95 percent of poker players out there uh and maybe even the whole hundred percent of them but thank you so much for writing that thank book you. and being on our show it's such a pleasure chatting with you and i'll be on any time i look forward best of luck uh, with sales and uh and, and all the interviews, I know you're going to be working hard to promote it yourself. So uh, thanks for taking the time today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay. Good night, Sherry Bykofsky, uh, a literary agent and an author, uh, now writing uh, her 30th book, I think she said. So she's done several things outside of poker. But we uh, love having her on, and we definitely will have her back, at in, back again. The Kaizen of Poker, How to Continuously Improve Your Hold'em Game. The word Kaizen, a Japanese word that... Uh, 
that uh, means continuous improvement. So uh, if you're looking to improve your game, and uh, I don't know, what do you think, Joe, about how long it takes somebody to put these things into practice and really taking the next step up? Hey, listen, <laughs> since I believe that most poker players are intelligent players, you know, intelligent people, Okay, maybe not all very successful, but they have a, a higher IQ, whether they use it for good or bad, I don't know. But it'll take a while because, you know, I consider myself that same way. And I thought I had mastered poker 20-some years ago because I went on a great run kicking people who really didn't know how to play. And I wasn't smart enough to know that they didn't know how to play. I just knew a little bit more than they did. But I thought, you know, that I was going to be God's gift to poker. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after a few losing sessions, you start looking in the mirror and you go, man, that person got so lucky to get that card or else I would have won $2,000, blah, blah, blah. And after, you know, your fourth or fifth loss, Dave, you look in the mirror and you go, damn, you really suck. You don't know how to play this effing game. So <laughs> you better learn how to. And, that's, and that, believe it or not, was the start of my education, Dave, because you can learn the basics. But like she says, there's so much more. Poker is such an intricate game that, like they say, probably 50% of the time, if not less, the winning hand, the actual true best hand does not win the pot. Yeah, absolutely. And those are all the skills that you need to learn. And the, the better you are at checking off this checklist and the better you are at improving on each one of these that Sherry has written down here, the better you will get. Now, I would also suggest to, to novice players, you can't, you can't, devour this whole book and know how to yeah. use all of it, this it, it, in, it's a, in it's one session. Time. It's pretty complicated. And I'm saying one session, not of reading the book, one session of playing poker. This oh, is yeah. A, this is a continual education thing, but the more you learn how to do this, the more you can kind of move on and eventually graduate to the whatever level you want to reach that you're comfortable playing in and, and hopefully turn that into into a profit, like she says, with her business. Our thanks to uh, Sherry Bykowski for joining us tonight. Uh, we have a little bit left. We'll uh, update that big tournament out in, uh, in Las Vegas as the World Series uh, of Poker is underway. And we will finish things up when we return. You're listening to Poker Action Line. We'll be right back. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. A lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes. And if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit. And much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean. You can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. 
We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available later this year. Final segment of the program, uh, you talk about women in poker, we were just uh, just showing Joe a picture of Kate Huang, who uh, finished second in the uh, event number four, which was the uh, Omaha High Lower Better, uh, $1,500 buy-in, uh, the 10000 is coming up around the corner. The winner was uh, Julian Martini, and the two of them played a long time head-to-head. Uh, Kate has uh, been around for a while, I guess, as she has six WSOP caches. For a total of a quarter of a million dollars, all of them involving Omaha High Low. So, and you know that I'm a father of three daughters, but she that picture that you showed me there, she's wearing a rather very sexy dress there. Yeah, nice I, to see I wonder that if that was if, the, if she either came from somewhere that she had to go to because it looks no. like a very nice dress there, and it, like I said, very sexy dress. Uh, or if, or if this is a ploy of hers to try to distract her her male counterpoints at the, at the table could be but uh, this is she only wore this for the head to head play I think the, she had a different dress on the day before when she was uh, playing down which was very pretty as well but uh, she, you know uh, and and trust me as a poker manager it, forget if about you got the it father. flaunt it exactly right? forget about the fun it's you know. And I'm sure Sherry and all these women players will tell you this. You know, most many of them look at them as they're, they're, you know, they're poker idiots that they don't really know how to play, okay, or someone that they, you know, think that they could get it to go out with them if if they're an attractive young lady uh, there. But the smart women know how to use this. I, I remember seeing some of them in my room, and I used to laugh, and I'd call them over, and they were sharp as a whip. And I go, I like the way you played that guy, and she goes. Yeah, you like that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this, this guy thinks he's going to get me in bed, and and you know, all, all he's going to all all he's going to get is me taking all his chips. And I used to laugh my butt off. So, you know, like we mentioned early, let's see if we can get more women playing over here. Because I guarantee you, if you start getting more women, you're going to see a lot more women winning these open uh, tournaments at the WSOP. A couple of South Florida guys uh, made the final table as well in this event. Uh, Chad Evaslage. Evaslage, uh, sixth place, uh, 39000 And Brandon Agaloff, who I interviewed for the show uh, maybe about uh, six months ago, he finished in fifth, winning 53000 Some other big names that made it deep include uh, Jeff Schulman, uh, Chris Bioran, the uh, veteran uh, mixed-game player. He finished in 17th. Schulman was 12th. Uh, Rob Mizraki uh, did cash. He finished in 90th place, won uh, 2500 and John Raisner finished in 86th. So uh, uh, all the different things that people can play, and uh, you know our good friend Mark Perlman, I don't know if he played in this event out there, but he has played in it in the past. And a lot of people, obviously like Kate Hoang, wait for that those the series simply because they they want to play those uh, those the niche events. Well, you know, listen, uh, if, if I get out there, the two events that I'd like to play, obviously now that I'm el- eligible for the seniors event, is to play that. But I also, it's been a while, but I used to love playing Raz, and hopefully I can play in, in one of the Raz, you know, uh, you know, bracelet events that they have out there in the very near future. Uh, the tournament uh, is uh, down to the uh, final two, I guess, is the latest uh, that we have for uh, uh, the 
100,000, No Limit, Hold'em, High Roller, Nick Petrangelo and Elio Fox uh, battling it out. Fox has made somewhat of a comeback here. Uh, and now it is over. I see that uh, Nick Petrangelo has won the event. Oh, okay. And uh, defeated Elio Fox. So uh, uh, Fox he held on to that big chip lead yeah. and was able to use it. Very Fox good won. It looks like he got within 12 million chips, 32 to 20 million. Uh, but which, uh, which tells me Fox took out the third place uh, player because they were sitting at about 11, 12 to and eight to his 31. So yeah, I can't even tell for sure from the write-ups. They don't say that he won the event, so maybe they're still going. Who knows? Uh, but uh, Fox won that earlier event bracelet uh, in the 3,000 uh, shootout. Now comes in second place if, that, if, the, if the information is correct. Exactly. Could you imagine if you won two events out of the first f- five? Uh, Pretty crazy. And they were asking, though, not just before the start, how many multiple bracelet winners do you think we're going to have? And last year, would we have two? I think, there was two, one, yeah. I think there was four in the last uh, three years or something like yeah, that. So. Anyway, uh, as we close, uh, one thing is a little disconcerting to me is the Colossus, which started out the first year uh, fire with 22000 They made some changes in the prize structure because people weren't happy that the winner only got 638000 out of a 22000 uh, yeah, that, that was the biggest the, mistake they the made. The next year, year, they guaranteed a million, and that's what they're doing now. Uh, the second year was 21,000 plus, and the third year was 18 last year. Uh, this Which is year, still an incredible field, but but this year they're at like nine with one with only one ser- with only one of the last uh, opening sessions still to go. They've had five sessions I mean, for a total of to nine thousand. Deeper into the WSOP to see how the field, yeah. how the other yeah. fields are. This could just be, you know. This is just a little bit too many, you know, the, the, not to say the novelty has worn off, but, you know, again, how long it is to get to that, how many people you got to get through. Granted, I, what's the buy-in? 500 and change? Five, 565. 565 is the buy-in for this. So, you know, you're going to probably continue to draw those numbers, but obviously this did not go in the direction that they've wanted this to go, you know, since that year one. And I don't know if this is just because it's so hard to handle that many people all in one shot. I mean, yeah. with other tournaments going around. So we're going to have to try to see, see see some of the forums to see what people are, why people think that the the, the final number here, whenever it comes, it, today's the final day of them for the, today? Yes, uh, after the one that just started uh, now, they, uh, they will be going on to day two tomorrow. On to day two tomorrow. So we'll know the final figures, I guess, after in a few more hours once they've closed registration. I can confirm now that they are still playing. It's $32 million to $20 million, But actually, Fox took the lead after that first announcement I made about the right. numbers. Fox took the lead, and then uh, uh, Petrangelo doubled back to grab the lead again. So they're still playing the two of them, and uh, we could have a uh, double bracelet winner here in the first week. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Well, good luck anyway, you. that's going to do it for the show. We appreciate you being with us. Again, thanks to Sherry. And uh, pick up the book. Very interesting. Uh, the Kaizen of Poker. Uh, continuous improvement is the key to getting better in the game of poker. Joe, thank you for uh, the hard work on that book. And uh, Gio, appreciate all the help that you give us every week here on the show. We'll be back next week with another edition of Poker Action Line. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 